Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to another edition of Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq al and we are broadcasting live at www.wcev1450.com. But you are listening to us over the airwaves of WCEV 1450 AM. It's always good to be back with you, Radio Islam family. Uh, for those of you who are new to the program, take a moment to stop by, uh, whether it be Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, uh, to like and follow our page. We are at, at Radio Islam USA. That is at Radio Islam USA. Uh, also, all of our uh, episodes are available on well, wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be SoundCloud, Google Play, uh, iTunes, TuneIn, uh, whatever that platform is, uh, you will be able to find us. Just look up Radio Islam USA. Uh, and if you enjoy what you're hearing, uh, share it. Pass it on. Uh, send a link out. And But most importantly, let us know uh, what you think. If you have any questions or comments during the course of our conversation tonight, uh, feel free to give us a call at 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. Uh, also, for our first-timers, so you know where you have landed, uh, Radio Islam is a live call-in talk radio program, uh, and we air every day. So uh, we're right here, like I said, at WCV 1450 AM. And, well, we're just here to have, have a great conversation. Uh, we, we talk about a variety of, of issues, uh, things that are going on in uh, uh, current events, uh, politics, uh, social, arts, uh, everything. So uh, you're, you're in a great space. So there's a lot going on uh, in the world today, in the news today, uh, in particular, um, in particular, the statements that was made that were made by uh, our president Donald Trump uh, with regard to uh, Jerusalem, uh, moving the United States uh, embassy to Jerusalem, and this has caused a lot of conversation, uh, a lot of blowback, and uh, world leaders, uh, activists are all uh, pretty much up in arms, uh, except for his, except for his base. But to give us a little bit more perspective on the, uh, on this conversation, uh, we've asked for the, uh, the chair of the Burma task force and the president, uh, and founder of sound vision, uh, Imam Abdul Malik Mujahid, uh, to come on, uh, and just to, to give some commentary and to put, put some of this in perspective, uh, for some of us, uh, as someone who has worked, uh, for many, many years, uh, in the area of, of, of human rights and activism. Uh, Imam Abdul Malik? Yes. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu Yeah, thank you for, uh, for taking the time to, to talk with us. And uh, as I said, you know, there are a lot of people who are really, um, who are really surprised and uh, just feel like that this is a destabilizing uh, move uh, by our president. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on this? Well, two Jewish groups, the Jewish advocacy group, J Street, has called it an unhelpful step with no tangible benefit, only serious risks. Mm-hmm. And of course, Jewish Voices for Peace have been even stronger in criticizing that on the ground that Muslim presence in Jerusalem was being eliminated step by step for several years. I mean, uh, the, uh, that, that has been an a, a ongoing concern that Muslims in Jerusalem, what rights do they have? Their houses are being uh, eliminated. A uh, lot of structures have been taken down. And that's the reason... Uh, uh, you know, the, what what has happened is is a more of a political thing, probably for the consumption of the U.S. politics mm-hmm. uh, than uh, uh, any real benefit. Uh, location has been, uh, you know, in 1947, United Nations designated it as an international city. Jerusalem is back in the eyes of not only Jews, but Muslims and Christians as well. Christians don't have any other holy sites other than that. That's the reason uh, 12 Christian leaders, almost all denomination-based Jerusalem, 
issued a statement earlier uh, asking President Trump not to do that. And there is not a single embassy uh, which is in Jerusalem because the world does not recognize it. Now, Trump is not alone. President Obama is speaking, uh, addressing to APAC, also stated uh, that Jerusalem should be, uh, you know, uh, the capital and U.S. should move its embassy there. It was part of the Democratic Party manifesto of President Obama as well to and move Clinton. that. Mm-hmm. But that has been theory. Nobody has actually done it. Right. And uh, Israel on itself, in 1980, they have something called Basic Jerusalem Law. It proclaimed the unified Jerusalem as the eternal, quote, internal and indivisible capital of Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, United Nations, actually, Security Council called it a violation of international law. Uh, so, so people have been very... Uh, I mean, this is something an Israeli state versus everybody else except that uh, they are strong enough in the U.S. in terms of the lobby to move uh, them, uh, move Trump forward. And I think he has a very low public opinion at this moment, and uh, so he wants to get some political mileage out of it. Let, let me ask you that uh, this on, on that point, uh, Imam. Um, as I said, there are quite a few organizations, uh, you mentioned two of them, George Voices for Peace, uh, as well as others, who have gone against uh, this statement uh, of the president, the direction that he's moving in. Uh, do you think that his rhetoric on the campaign trail, that he's saying that it is it is greater than uh, not just national security, but international security, uh, by making attention to move the, um, the embassy? Of course, he, it was his political promise he has done. Right. Uh, but Jewish Voices for Peace is not the mainstream entity, say, at the fringes of Jewish uh, groups. Uh, when I put a notice on my Facebook, the mainstream Jewish organization, uh, Jewish Federation in Chicago, for example, it's uh, vice, uh, it's the head rabbi of Chicago, Michael Belinsky, put a note below my note responding to it that, uh, you know, uh, the final status of Jerusalem was left open in Trump's speech. Right. But the issue is not that. issue is, has the Jewish Federation or mainstream Jewish organization in this country support uh, the resolution which Israel has that, uh, you know, it is eternal and divisible capital of Israel. Right. So they don't leave a room and when Israel is concerned. Jewish groups here can say this and that, mm-hmm. but do they oppose 1980 Basic Jerusalem Law, which proclaimed Jerusalem as the eternal and divisible capital of Israel, which uh, is a violation of international law, and UN Security Council resolution condemned it. Of course, Muslims recognize, uh, not only now, but when Muslims were in control, that Jewish people have must have full access to their holy land, and uh, Christians should have full access. Muslims have always respected. But rights of Muslim at this moment, rights of Christian at this moment are not respected. Right. Uh, that's the issue. And uh, so, so this is a very damaging thing, you know, for United States, mm-hmm. which has good chance of being a a sort of uh, play a role of a peacemaker. Now, once again, U.S. have said, hey, forget about the peace uh, mediator role. We are just on your side, period. Right, right. Yeah, th- that I think uh, your answer, it, it answered the question that I, that I was posing, uh, that we're more concerned about, um, he's more concerned about fulfilling campaign promises than he is about uh, the security of, the, of that region. Um, so... Well, uh, we thank you so much for uh, for sharing your perspective and giving us some uh, perspective on uh, on this issue. Um, so, okay. and we look we look forward to talking to you talking to you soon. Thank you. All right. All right. All right, Radio Islam family. That was Imam Abdul Malik Mujahid, uh, the chair of the Burma Task Force, uh, which does um, uh, some amazing work with regard to uh, uh, highlighting the atrocities and genocide that's taking place uh, in in Burma. 
with regard to the Rohingya uh, Muslims, and he's also the president and founder of Sound Vision as well. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, um, well, not just when we come back, when we come back a little bit later on, we're going to be talking with uh, Adam Carolla, uh, Adam Carroll, excuse me. Uh, he is the uh, New York and UN program director for Burma, Burma Task Force. All right, we'll be back in just a minute. Pedestrians were lying on sidewalks and curled up in doorways. There was no sign of violence, no wrecks, nothing like that. It was as if the people in New York had simply decided to stop whatever they were doing and pass out. Ice coated my stomach. The invasion has started. To find out what happens next, read Percy Jackson and the Olympians by Rick Reardon. Explore new worlds and check out more cool books at your local library. And visit read.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent, one in 260,000. The odds of him having 15 career NASCAR victories, one in 1.7 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism, one in 88. I'm Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Radio Islam, the nation's first daily live call-in talk radio show produced by Muslims for the mainstream market. Radio Islam, on the air since 2004 because of your generosity. Radio Islam salutes its most valuable asset, you, our listener. From our producers to our interns, we appreciate your support. Thank you. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Terry Kelamine. I should also let you know, joining me in studio on the boards is the impressive one, Ibrahim Beg. He's uh, on the boards, also uh, associate producer, uh, occasional commentator. He will jump in with us every now and again. And in light of his interest, his deep interest in the political sciences, I'm expecting that he's going to be jumping in in a minute with us. <laughs> so, as, as you all heard, we talked with um, we talked with Imam Abdul Malik Mujahid, uh, and he gave us some context with regard to uh, President Trump's statements uh, with uh, with regard to moving the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem. Now, uh, anybody who's been following the news, uh, I mean, from from day one. We recognize that this has been a contentious battle, uh, and it's one that is not often told from a uh, from a perspective of of justice or fairness, but more of a favoritism. Uh, and by that, uh, it means that if we didn't have labels to talk about who is who, then we would be. It would be a lot easier for us to say, "Well, uh, this has been your you you've been here for hundreds uh, and hundreds and hundreds of years." Uh, and to see your rights uh, diminished, to see your homes uh, raised uh, to the ground, to see uh, to see yourself as a uh, as a refugee in your own land, um, that would be something that should and, and would strike a chord uh, in any in any fair-minded individual. But when, when we put names to it, uh, and we put lobbies uh, behind those uh, names or one of those names then we find ourselves in a position where uh, we are co-signing on the uh, not just the marginalization but the oppression of the uh, since we're using names now we uh, we co-sign on the oppression of the Palestinian um, people Um, and the United States has had an opportunity uh, in the past or has tried to broker peace um, and up to this point, it has been a tenuous peace. But the question, 
that I have that I'd like for you to think about. And if, if you want to share with us uh, while we've got a few minutes before we uh, move into our next segment, give us a call at 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. The question uh, is, is this a distraction or is this a fulfillment of a uh, of a campaign promise uh, that is going to lead us or, or lead that region into uh, into greater uh, strife, resulting in the further marginalization of the Palestinian people. So that's my question. That's that's what I'm wondering. Ibrahim, you want to take want to take a stab at that? Assalamu alaikum. Like my salam. Good to be with you again. Yes, sir. Um, I want to take a bit of a detour and approach that question mm-hmm. from a slightly different angle. Um, I want to take a quick trip to India. Mm. Um, the BBC released an article today as a reminder. Today is the 25th anniversary, December 6th, the 25th anniversary of the destruction of a certain mosque in India. It was called the Babri Mosque. Uh, the story goes that it was, it was purportedly this mosque was... Um, however many years ago, hundreds of years ago, built on supposed grave or, or, or grave of a Hindu saint or something like that, or like a mythological, it had some religious significance to them. Um, so the story goes, basically a group, a crowd of uh, Hindu nationalists, um, they began to lay claim to this mosque that had been there for hundreds of years. And they eventually tore it down to the ground, and there was a lot of violence involved and a lot of turmoil. And that was kind of an early manifestation of the uh, Hindu nationalist, uh, the BJP party, and their and their base, their supporters. That was an early manifestation of uh, nationalist violence in that case, and it was a very big deal. I remember in the in the nineties, um, nineteen ninety two, it was a very bad situation. Um, I bring this up because, first of all, this is. I'm, I'm wondering if it's a coincidence. I'm. I'm hoping it's coincidence that this is the day that happens to be the anniversary of this, and it happens to be the same day where President Trump announces this very similar type of claim, right? Okay. That this land called Palestine, um, which was for hundreds of years, you know, Muslim Christian kind of place with Jews living there too peacefully Um, but after the foundation of the state of Israel a few decades ago now it's people are laying claim to this land as if um, the people who are on it and the things that are on it and the importance of the people living there it just doesn't matter like they just it was completely thrown out the window Um, I I have to ask this question because as we know the uh anti-Muslim elements within Israel and India both are known to be pretty uh, strongly sympathetic to each other. Mm. Um, so it, it's it's a looming question in my mind. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to come at it at, from that angle because of so many parallels in both uh, instances. Well, you know what? I appreciate that uh, because I think it's important to be able to draw these lines of connection uh, between history because uh, with the say history continues to repeat itself right so uh, that that is quite interesting um, I don't know if I don't know if it's a coincidence but I definitely think it's it is uh, just kind of reflective of the continuing uh, pattern you know uh, of history mm-hmm. um, I mean it's a common thread between uh, supremacist movements that you know, uh, history or whatever type of pride that people have takes precedence over real human beings and real lives and real, you know, institutions that are on the ground right now. Right. So everything needs to be cleared off and just, you know, this belongs to us and that's all there is to it, right? There's definitely a common thread there, in, and that's not the only common thread, but that's one um, manifestation of supremacy you know supremacist ideology see i'm a, I'm, a, I'm a real big uh fan of you know the continuance of logic you know uh, mm-hmm. that it that if it works in one in one situation it should work in another mm-hmm. so you know if we turn that that type of thinking around this idea of this being uh this whole narrative of it being the ancestral homeland you know of of the the, the jewish people um well 
the United States is also the ancestral homeland of the Native American. Right. Uh, but you know, there's no there's no big propaganda. There's there's no uh, big push to return what was taken from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and when that's not to state that or, or say that uh, that the land was taken from them, because as we know, uh, a sizable portion of the uh, of Israel's population uh, are Eastern European. Right. Uh, so not even native to that region, um, but you know it's. But once again, that's not really a conversation uh, that's had because we're not dealing with things in terms of. Uh, I think what is, what's fair, we're just dealing with who's the favorite. So, that is a. Uh, uh, it's unfortunate, and I, I really don't know Radio Slum family what, what we're going to be able to do about this. But we are in uncharted, we're in uncharted waters right now. Uh, thank you um, uh, for that perspective, uh, Ibrahim. Um, we're in uncharted waters right now uh, with regard to how uh, Israel has been looked at as, uh, as an American, uh, as, as America's strongest ally uh, in that region, um, which colors its uh, engagement, which colors its, its commitment to, uh, to principle, to justice, until we uh, have an engagement that is uh, principally based, we're not going to have uh, a lasting, uh, lasting peace. And I think at this point, there's only, you know, this is just my opinion, right? If you have different, please say. But I think that there is only a two-state um, solution. I think that, I mean, that's the reality of it right now. Nobody's leaving, uh, but you know, we have to. There has to be a way to, to ensure the dignity of everybody, of everyone that is there, uh, and it's it's more than the notion. You got something on that? <laughs> yeah. The problem with a two-state solution is, I mean, there's no easy solution. No. The the problem with the two-state solution is, um, it's just not. It's just not a fair ball game, right? A two-state solution, if it was to work, it should have taken place. 50 years ago. You yeah, know? absolutely. Now, once these settlements are built and all the viable land is taken and like you're left with these basically scraps, right. now people start saying, okay, let's talk about a two-state solution. It's not really fair, you know? Or or Israel has to become a true democracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, and that is probably, uh, that would probably afford the, the greatest opportunity for, uh, for a more level playing field. But Israel, as it is, uh, it, it has been described as a, as a modern day uh, apartheid. But I think uh, we're at a time. If you all were listening uh, yesterday, we had Gene Hallisey on yesterday, uh, who's a documentary filmmaker. Um, and one of the things that that she pointed out, which many of us point out, is that this is not a time for us to stand still or, or be quiet. Uh, this is a time for people of conscience to uh, to raise their voices. All right, Radio Sound family, look, we um, we're going to be talking with Adam. Carol in just a moment. So we're going to take a really short break and we will be right back. We're going to get into that conversation with Adam Carroll. faucet running? That's not a faucet. That's a river rushing through the forest. Forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink. What? I can't hear you because of the vacuum. That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. I didn't know the trees were so amazing. Yep, and the forest gives us shade, trees to climb. That's awesome. Let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Hola, my name is Esperanza. After a tragic incident, I was forced from a life of riches in Mexico to a life of poverty in the United States. My mother has become ill and we have become separated from our family. Now I must work for both of us to try to bring the rest of our family together. My name is Esperanza and I am trying to survive. Explore new worlds. Read my story in the novel Esperanza Rising by Pam Muñoz Ryan. For other great book ideas, visit your local library or log on to literacy.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen. 
You are listening to another edition of Radio Islam at WCEV 1450 AM. We are streaming live at www.wcev1450.com. And just a quick reminder, all of our episodes are available in podcast form wherever you get your podcast at. SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, uh, TuneIn, wherever you get them from, uh, you will find us there. Just look for us at Radio Islam USA. All right, we are bringing on the line uh, just a moment. There is a uh, there, there's a great event or week that is coming up, which is, um, uh, it is the, what have I just, I just lost my mind for a minute. It's uh, Human Rights Day. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's Human Rights Day. So uh, we have on the line with us, we have Adam Carroll, and he is the New York and UN Program Director for the Burma Task Force. Assalamu alaikum, Adam. Wa All right. Thanks for uh, having me. Oh, it's, yeah. our, it's our pleasure. Thanks for taking the time to uh, to chat with us. Well, so, I'm glad to be here, and I hope you can hear me okay. Yeah, you're coming through loud and clear. All right, great. Yeah, yeah. Human Rights Day, uh, it's uh, it's going to be the seventh, 70th anniversary of this holiday, which commemorates the signing of the UN Declaration or the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Uh, at the UN, and uh, that was done shortly after the formation of the United Nations, and uh, so it's a moment to reflect mm-hmm. uh, both on the strengths and also some of the weaknesses of the international system. Okay, so what are so uh, well? Thank you for that history. Uh, what are some of the uh, some of the challenges uh, and opportunities mm-hmm. that you face uh, in your position? Well, I mean. Uh, what I face and what the UN face, uh, there's some overlap. The UN faces so many problems. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, today, for example, and not only is it dealing with the 65 uh, million displaced people in the world at the moment and counting, mm-hmm. but uh, it's dealing with nations like our own, United States, who have just withdrawn from the U.S. Compact on Migrants, which is a treaty. A process that is is uh, based on the UN, uh, sorry, the New York Declaration on Migration signed last year. So you know we've got nation states and member nations of the UN. Uh, there are 193, by the way, and they all have their own minds and they all want to do different things. They want to talk about human rights, but only when it has to do with the other countries. Right. They don't want to talk about their own records, mm-hmm. and uh, so it is definitely a very multi-layered situation at the UN. Um, Today, looking on the calendar, uh, there there was a discussion of the death of Doug Hammarskjöld, who was, I believe, the first uh, Secretary General, and he he and his colleagues were killed in a plane crash, which apparently was uh, caused by some state or other. Uh, And so today they were urging the member nations to open up their classified documents from their intelligence and come clean about who killed the first uh, um, secretary general. And then there were meetings on peacekeepers, on the former Yugoslavian uh, war crimes tribunal, uh, law of the sea, sustainable diversity. There was a meeting convened by Iran on violent extremism, a meeting of Latin American members of the International Criminal Court, uh, the meetings on decolonization and disaster and humanitarian relief. There's a lot going on. And, uh, you know, it's easy out when you're outside the system and even inside to criticize the international system, like, what good is it doing? Right. Um, and there are layers of bureaucracy, but... Um, there's a lot of smart people who mean well, and they are engaging with problems all over the world, big and small, uh, short-term and long-term, climate change and all kinds of things. They're using um, some uh, what's now called the uh, SDGs, which is Sustainable Development Goals. There's 17 of them, and people at the UN seem very proud of them because they're a group of 17 area or thematic areas with, you break them down to 169 targets. They've got human rights kind of folded into all of those 17 
uh, groups. And, you know, for example, SDG 1 is no poverty. Mm-hmm. SDG 2 is no hunger. And it goes on to good health, quality education, gender equality, clean water and sanitation, affordable energy, decent work, infrastructure, reduced inequality, and goes on and on, including peace and justice. And these goals are supposed to be <clears throat> for the year 2030. The 2030 agenda for sustainable development is supposed to be targets for all the nation states, all 193 nation states to work towards. Um, And is a very important framework for the nation states, even on human rights issues. So people are working, you know, in a positive way on all kinds of levels, trying to create uh, architecture for development and human rights together. Uh, Is that, uh, that sounds uh, truly uh, challenging. Uh, this idea of, you know, you, you're, laying, you're laying out uh, these different goals, uh, but for them to come to fruition, it seems like there is a, uh, there has to be a, a cooperation between public, uh, government, and non-governmental um, uh, actors uh, that are brought together. Uh, how, how, is, how is that managed? Is, is that a part of the discussion? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and, uh, in fact, uh, in the New York uh, United Nations and also in Geneva, um, there is interaction between the na- nation states and the civil society groups. Um, Justice for All, which uh, is the nonprofit um, that houses Burma Task Force, mm-hmm. um, is accredited at Department of Public Information at the New York UN. Um, we have some access to discussions. There's a, a monthly meeting with the uh, rotating president of the Security Council, for example, and there are many other meetings that we can get in on. But then there are other places where we cannot go, and uh, and so it's not quite the same, you know, as being a governmental uh, or ambassador or or a junior level uh, secretary at, at a mission. Right. So civil society kind of struggles to get its message uh, in. And uh, whether you're an environmental organization or a women's organization or human rights, um, you know, you have to keep uh, nimble and keep moving around, inserting yourself into conversations. Um, but uh, it is supposedly easier to do that in Geneva. That's what everyone says. And people are concerned about the shrinking space for civil society at the UN. Um, But, you know, there are a lot of um, uh, systems at the UN um, uh, with um, – there's something called the Office of the High Commissioner uh, uh, for Human Rights, which is headed uh, for the first time by a Muslim, uh, Prince uh, Zaid Rad al-Hussein. And he's very good, um, and uh, they – convened the Human Rights Council in Geneva, which was created only about 10 years ago, in March uh, 2006. Um, They also oversee a whole bunch of experts uh, in different areas uh, who are called special rapporteurs. Uh, There's a special rapporteur for Burma who goes there, and she's excellent. Uh, Yang He Lee is her name. And she writes reports, and when she goes there, the anti-Rohingya uh, elements uh, riot. They hate her because she's doing the right thing. She's writing really strong um, uh, reports uh, asking for accountability from Aung San Suu Kyi and the military uh, in government. Um, there are special rapporteurs on human trafficking, on racism, on genocide, on freedom of religion and belief, uh, torture, foreign debt. Uh, cultural rights, disabilities, all kinds of things. And there are a few others who are Muslim. Uh, for example, um, Ahmed Shahid is uh, right now the new uh, special rapporteur on, on religion and belief. Um, so there's, there's, those, there, there's people working on impl- um, monitoring the uh, implementation of human rights treaties, of which there are at least 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, and every few years, Every single um, nation will go through a process called the Universal Periodic Review, and it's like a test where they uh, are reviewed by the 47-member Human Rights Council 
um, who get to ask questions. Civil society groups like ours get to ask questions and, and even speak to them and say, well, what about your record on, on uh, uh, press freedom? What about this case? What about that? What about the Rohingya? You know, and so um, they, they're, it's a real strenuous and serious uh, process, and there are a lot of member states who don't like it. And uh, there's, there's other ways to bring up issues. Uh, certainly there's the third committee of the uh, UN General Assembly, um, but there are a lot of, of um, nations that complain because they don't like individual countries going up before their group, and they say, just stick to the Human Rights Council. So there's, there's a bit of controversy, but the human rights people, like ourselves, uh, push for um, accountability on every level. And that also includes, of course, the UN Security Council, which is the highest level. Mm -hmm. And there's only five, group, five nations that have the veto. And unfortunately, they've been using their veto in some human rights situations, like Syria, where Russia has been vetoing uh, certain uh, uh, decisions uh, and preventing uh, the government of Syria uh, from being held accountable. And China right now is, is also playing that role with Myanmar, with Burma, um, protecting it and making sure that any action is much softer than it would be normally. Um, so it's hard to uh, bring sanctions against Myanmar when it's being protected by China. The U.S. in the past has also played that role, certainly does that with Israel. Um, and so, um, you know, we see that there's a lot of politics being played at every level of the U.N. Uh, it's a real challenge because it's a consensus-run, uh, uh, consensus-driven uh, enterprise, and you have to always be meeting and meeting and meeting. Uh, it's really very challenging and kind of invigorating and kind of inspiring when it actually works. <laughs> yes, I'm sure those victories are celebrated. Uh, when, yeah. you, when you mention uh, the, the veto power, uh, you know, within the, uh, that Security Council, um, I could not help but think about uh, that this, or, is, or I, should, I couldn't help but think of this question, is this a or do you see this as a structural flaw uh, that that allows for, uh, I guess, that allows for the, the a group to profess uh, that they are upholding um, uh, human rights, but then not actually have to follow through on it? Uh, yes, probably so. Um, probably so. But it's it's hard to see how to avoid it. Um, it's a problem of political will as well as structure. Um, some of the nation states want to, um, are asking this, the Security Council to sign a code of conduct which they will pledge, in which they will pledge to not veto uh, certain kinds of uh, decisions, um, for example, that have to do with mass atrocities. And uh, there's quite a lot of um, uh, General Assembly members uh, that are pushing for that kind of code of conduct, but but again, um, the structure of the of the um, Security Council, it has the five vetoing groups, and then it has also uh, rotating um, assortment of other nation states, um, and uh, you know those nation states don't have as much power, though they do have input, um, and it's an interesting balance. Um, sometimes it works pretty well. And, you know, there's peacekeeping operations. There's a lot of new things that have developed just in the last 10 years and, and are still growing at the UN. And, of course, there's UNICEF and there's UNDP for development and there's uh, UN, uh, there's the, the High Commissioner for Refugees, um, there's, there's Food World Food Program. There's a lot of, of groups that provide humanitarian assistance. Uh, OCHA and IOM, you know, all kinds, of whole alphabet soup of, of uh, humanitarian groups, and they they put in a lot of millions of dollars into uh, helping um, build infrastructure as well as respond to disasters. Um, you know, and a lot of this is supposed to include human rights, sort of attached to it. And so, when you're providing, for example, uh, disaster relief, you should be thinking that, that everyone gets treated equally. You know, when you think when you're hiring someone for the UN, you have to be thinking about you know uh, labor rights. So they're trying to fold in human rights to every level, and uh, and so it keeps uh, the human rights people busy. 
Um, now this is all based on the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which I mentioned earlier. Yes. Um, that was um, created by a committee, a very diverse committee, um, in, uh, in the 40s, uh, led by Eleanor Roosevelt, the widow of uh, Franklin Roosevelt. Um, and uh, and it's quite an um, a inspiring document, and uh, it, it's meant to be universal. Um, so, you know, it asks for everyone to be free and equal and without distinction or prejudice, equal before the law, in, with, with court systems that are impartial, with freedom of movement and, and a right to asylum. Uh, all of these rights, by the way, that the Rohingya do not have. Uh, the Rohingya don't have a right to work in, in Myanmar. They don't have a right to marry, a full right. Uh, they don't have a right to a nationality. Um, you know, they don't have the right to own property. They don't have the freedom of religion. So there's a lot, there's a whole lot of the Universal Declaration that is not being implemented or applied or honored in Myanmar. And that is the problem, that a, that a lot of these documents only exist on paper and as ideals. And you really have to be able to implement them. And you have so many different conventions against torture, uh, convention on the elimination of all forms of discrimination against women. Uh, you've got some a grouping of these conventions that is called, of course, um, the uh, International Bill of Rights. Uh, all these nations have signed on, and, and including in 2005, the responsibility to, responsibility to protect um, uh, concept, which uh, all of the members signed, and it means that when there is a genocide or mass atrocity, that the rest of the, of the world has a responsibility to basically interfere, to get involved, to save people who are being wiped out. And, you know, again, this is a controversial idea because nations don't want to be interfered with. Um, and they see it in those terms. They see it as sovereignty issues, but they they don't realize that they've signed an agreement that 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 allows that kind of um, interaction. Um, that nations are artificial constructs, and right. humanity is is a re, is a reality, and that we owe each other response when there is major disaster and when there is atrocity. So. You know, the Convention on Reduction of Statelessness, Genocide Convention, uh, very important, very crucial um, treaties, um, and there is, you know, even laws of war. But unfortunately, the U.S., for example, especially beginning in the Bush years, began to go on its own, uh, not that it didn't before that, but, you know, um, ignoring the Geneva Conventions on tre Treatment of Prisoners, doing covert operations on an on a extensive level, um, just ignoring a lot of the international and multilateral uh, systems that were built up. And um, now we see President Trump taking that uh, unilateral approach to another level. Um, during the Bush years, we left the International Criminal Court. We unsigned our, the document. Uh, I don't know how you unsign it, but right. that's what we did. Um, and, and, of course, today we heard in the news how, you know, we're now um, breaking precedents with um, <clears throat> President Trump uh, uh, agreeing that uh, Jerusalem is the capital of, uh, of Israel and we're going to move our consulate and our embassy. So, again, the U.S. does sometimes really ignore international consensus, and this is very troubling because it could lead, lead to a lot more conflict. So it seems that we are also, uh, those of us here in the United States, uh, that we are also, uh, I guess, guilty of the same type of uh, avoidance uh, of being held to, uh, uh, to, to a particular standard that, every, that we've agreed to or, or everyone else has agreed to. Um, and let me ask this, because you mentioned about the uh, international human rights uh, system, and it seems that you're really pointing out the ways that it can work. Uh, by providing a, a framework uh, and, and reference and, and goals uh, for, uh, for the existing nations or uh, participating nations to aspire to. Uh, would you touch on a little bit, and I, I think you mentioned a few of them, but how does that system also not work? I'm sorry, how does what? How does that, the international system, yeah, you mentioned a lot of the ways that it, that it does work in providing a framework and, and laying out goals, but what are the ways that it is not working? 
Well, I think, again, it doesn't work when nations play politics and put their interests ahead of the, the interests of the, of, of, of the human, uh, you know, uh, experiment, if you will, you know, the, the potential of, of humans to build a, a, a cooperation on, on issues like climate change. Um, so, you know, when you withdraw from the Paris Accords, like President Trump has done, yeah. um, you know, you, you, you put your thumb in the eye of the rest of, of the world that, that has signed it, including China in this case. So, so the, this is, these are, are, you know, uh, troubling uh, examples, but there are many different kinds. Um, and uh, the, um, you know, the Muslims, of course, we we have a, uh, our own traditions of human rights, and some of the Muslim nations uh, have a pretty bad uh, history of um, human rights abuse, unfortunately. And uh, and so there is a lot of skepticism about uh, their um, sincerity uh, in. Uh, implementing these uh, universal norms. Uh, but at the same time, sometimes the norms don't seem Islamic, quote-unquote Islamic, in their vocabulary. And so um, there was a, an, an effort in 1990 to create something called the Cairo Declaration of Human Rights. Um, it's controversial because it's either a... a, a, a replacement for or complementary to the Universal Declaration. And if you see it as complementary to, uh, then it's less problematic. And I recommend people who are interested, look it up and look also, uh, look up uh, maybe a discussion of this uh, critical discussion by the Center for Inquiry, which is the name of a, of a think tank, um, which is a humanist think tank, but they're, they're uh, uh, trying to look at both sides of, of, of freedom of religion issues. And they criticize ideas like uh, blasphemy laws and defamation of religion, uh, which can be misused by, by religious states um, to right. oppress people. Um, so there's something to look at. Uh, so the idea of, a, of a, an Islamic alternative to the Universal Declaration is an interesting thing and something to look into and be aware of. But take, take it with a grain of salt, because it is governments from the OIC, for example, uh, Organization of Islamic Cooperation, mm-hmm. um, that, that are uh, offering this alternative. But meanwhile, you know, we all know that human beings have rights, but also responsibilities. And I think that's very much in line and aligned with the UN uh, Sustainable Development Goals. There's a lot there that is, is very natural for Muslims to interact with. And, you know, I think I really urge uh, the listeners to, you know, go to the website and just uh, explore uh, United Nations uh, agencies and uh, treaties and uh, the human rights uh, uh, departments at the U.N., uh, I really think they'll find uh, quite interesting discussions. And, you know, we know that there's so many problems in the world from, you know, the Central African Republic mm-hmm. to Yemen. And, you know, the discussion, discussing all these things on an ongoing basis. Yemen was Monday at the Security Council. Um, they're going to discuss Myanmar at the Security Council next week on the 12th. Uh, they talked about Myanmar and the Rohingya uh this past Tuesday in Geneva. So, you know, you keep track and try to figure out, you know, how you can influence discussion, uh, whether it's uh, at the UN. And, of course, Burma Task Force is also interested in U.S. policy as well. And this past, uh, well, today, just a few hours ago, uh, the House of Representatives voted to, uh, uh, to support sanctions against the government of Myanmar. And, um, and so, um, you know, there, we try to promote all uh, actions on behalf of human rights that we can, whether it's in the international community or, or in U.S. Congress. So um, that's, that's something about what we do, and it's an honor to be in those spaces, those big grand spaces at the United Nations and be able to interact a little bit. I wish I saw more Muslim groups uh, doing that, frankly, and uh, there's a lot of growth that we need. Well, let me, let me ask. Let me ask you this, Adam. Uh, as we are, we're we're getting close to our our cutoff time. Uh, mm-hmm. How can how can folks keep up with the work uh, that that you're doing uh, uh, with as far as the uh, Burma Task Force is concerned? 
Um, could you ask your question again? How can the what? How, how can the listeners uh, keep up or support? Uh, how yes. can uh, the, the work of the Burma Task Force? Yes, yes, please. Uh, it would be great if you just go to our website and look around. Uh, we've got action alerts every week. Um, it's www.burmataskforce.org. Um, and there's always something new every week uh, as far as how you can get involved, who you can call. Um, it really does uh, matter. Um, your actions really do matter, and it, it does make a difference. Okay. All right, well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, Adam. And, uh, Thanks. You know, your work is uh, definitely, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're making uh, dua, praying for your continued success uh, in those very difficult spaces that you're working in. Yes, the Rohingya really need our prayers and our thoughts and yeah. our actions. Absolutely. Thank Thanks. you so much. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, All right, Radio Islam family, that was Adam Carroll, the New York and U.N. Program Director for Burma Task Force. Uh, there is an upcoming, the upcoming, um, why am I drawing a blank here? Uh, International, I'm sorry, Human Rights Day that's coming up, and we'll be talking about that again. Um, our engineer tonight over at WCEV was Leonard. Thank you very much, sir, for doing what you do. Our engineer on the boards and studio, the impressive one, Ibrahim Beg. I'm your host and producer, Tariq Alameen. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. The views expressed by the host and our guests are theirs and not to be taken as the views of Sound Vision. Uh, Radio Slam family, we look forward to talking with you tomorrow. Another wonderful day. So I'm going to leave you now as I greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Thank you.